The Big 12 added four new teams two years ago. Was it worth it then? Yes. Is it worth it now? Yes. But was it worth it for those four schools? This is Locked On Big 12. You are Locked On Big 12, your daily podcast on the Big 12 Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome into a crossover edition of Locked On Big 12 and Locked On Cougars. Drake Toll with you from ESPN Central Texas. That is Jake Hatch of Locked On Cougars. And Jake, let's jump right into it. Four new teams. All Mm -hmm. four of those teams struggled. We're going to get in the middle segment into why that is. But for now, I want to know, is the luster of joining the Big 12 still there for a school like BYU or Cincinnati, Houston and UCF? Uh, Well, I can speak for BYU, uh, quite frankly, that it absolutely is. The Cougars are ecstatic to be members of this conference. They're super excited to be part of the Power Five. Now, the Big 12 is going to morph once again next year. We all know that with the newcomers incoming from the Pac-12. So a whole new look next year as well. But yeah, speaking from the BYU perspective, I very much uh, believe that BYU fans are ecstatic to be part of this conference. I think they overall had a great experience year one. Yes, the record for football was not ideal, but I really think that just the overall arching theme of now that they finally made it to the quote-unquote big time that is carrying BYU fans right now Uh, nobody likes the why guy that hears the answer and goes why but Jake I'm gonna be the why guy here when you think about the the opportunity to be in the big 12 especially for a BYU who is looking to get out of the wilderness why has this been so rewarding in even the last three or four months of, of officially playing sports uh, well, frankly, it's been 12 years of watching their arch rival Utah play at this level. They've watched Utah make that run up to the Pac-12, winning the Pac-12 twice the last two years. Now, they did fall short this year, but regardless, they watched the Utes uh, pretty much live their dream in the Pac-12. They wanted to be a Power 5 football program. They wanted to have success at that at that level, Drake, and uh, that that's the biggest thing. Is there's a, There was just like an envy factor uh, for BYU that they wanted to be at this level. They're finally getting that opportunity and they're living it up. And like I said, it's been a decade plus of watching yeah. their, their hated rival do exactly what they wanted to do. So uh, Cougar fans, they're very, very happy to finally be at this level, even despite some of these early struggles. I know that you're very active on social media and get to read all kind of boards and comments from the UCF, Cincinnati and Houston fans. Yeah. Do you feel that same vibe from those that came for the AAC, who came from a honestly a power six conference into the power five that all four of these teams in unison are excited to be where they are? I believe so, because I had some conversations with people at Cincinnati when they came out to Provo and they said that they were ecstatic just to uh, be back at the power five level. You remember Cincinnati was in the big East before it uh, yeah. kind of by the wayside football wise. They're finally feeling like, Hey, we're finally back where we belong. UCF and Houston. I'm just speaking uh, from what I have observed from the outside. UCF is this young neophyte relative to a number of these other football programs that have hundred year legacies. And they're just excited to be part of the club. And then Houston, they're part of the old Southwest conference. It's every, Everybody else from that Southwest Conference get an opportunity to play at the big time outside of SMU. Now SMU is going to get that chance next year in the ACC. So I just think that they're all looking at it saying, you know what? We're where we think we've belonged for many, many years. Let's go out and make the best of it. Even though I think all of them, including BYU, acknowledge that, hey, it's not going to be as easy in terms of competition on the field early on as many might expect it would have been. 
So we spoke to Cameron Stewart here on Locked On Big 12 yesterday of Locked On Baylor about how how the old teams, uh, the I-rate eight, may view this league and where it's going from a, a stability standpoint. How do you see the Big 12, even before these four new teams from out west come in, as it sits right now, as of December 14, 2023, stability? W- what comes to mind when you hear that with the Big 12? Well, I think stability is there because uh, let's be frank, uh, who of these, let's say the 12 right now. So we'll, we'll accept uh, Texas and Oklahoma because they are exiting the, sure, the, yeah. the 12 that are in right now. I think all 12 of them, where else are they going to go? And I know that yeah. sounds bad to say that, but the simple fact of the matter is they don't necessarily have a ton of suitors out there trying to pick them off. So yes, there is a stability factor that is going to benefit the big, tw- uh, yeah, it's benefit the big 12 yeah. and with the four new additions coming in from the pack 12. They're in a similar boat. Now there may be, some fan bases like Utah who think that down the road they may be a, a bait uh, for the Big Ten to pick them up. Great. You can believe that all you want, but until that really comes to fruition, go for it. Uh, right. I just really think that right now, without a ton of suitors kind of begging and pleading for these guys to go to other conferences, that is going to be get a nice, stable conference for the time being for the Big 12. Here's the mega question. Here is the why I've buried the lead here. Excited to be here. Everybody's happy. Here's the future of the Big 12. Then, bam, six months ago, it's dropped in your lap. Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Deion Sanders in Colorado. Is there a sense, as a team that's been in the Big 12 for less than a year, of, I just wish it could have been the way we pictured it before these other four teams were added in? Uh, from speaking for myself personally, I'm actually okay with the four coming in because I think it gives BYU more of a regional feel of who they're going to be going up against. Now, I know that the schedule for the Big 12 is going to send them all over the country. That's just um, the way that matrix is kind of laid out. But having the Arizona schools who BYU once upon a time founded the WAC with way back in the 1960s, I, I've got a grandfather when that happened. He's like, cool, it's going to be cool to have the Arizona schools back with BYU. I'm a guy who works in sports radio here in Salt Lake City. I'll be honest, the BYU-Utah rivalry keeps us going on a daily basis so having that back together is is something that's awesome because i grew up watching those games it's fun to have that back but yes there there is some a small part of me that wonders had maybe this held on for two three years before it ultimately kind of came to fruition with these new schools coming in and allowed byu to kind of get a sense of what the big 12 was like with just the 12 that we thought were going to be there that would have kind of been fun to see but reality is that they get really one year here and then the four new schools are coming in and and the four are all regional opponents or regional rivals of BYU's from your standpoint as not just BYU but one of the newcomers of the Big 12 does the addition of those four teams bring more stability does does that feel like it anchors this conference even more so I think so, because I think Colorado, they're a legacy Big 12 member. Obviously, they were a founding member of the conference back when it was founded. I think the Arizona schools are content doing what they're doing. ASU may be a little waffly in terms of like if if, if Utah gets uh, eyes kind of glancing elsewhere, ASU may be that team that has those eyes looking elsewhere alongside them. But I think Arizona is very, very happy. That's a basketball school. They want to be in the best basketball conference in the country, and that's the Big 12 bar none. So uh, I think that they do bring stability, even if – one or two of them are thinking, well, down the road, we can make that jump because I trust me, I have enough conversations with people involved with Utah that think that the Big Ten is their ultimate destination. OK, great. We'll see if that ultimately pans out for you. But that feels like it's years down the road. So uh, at least for the time being, I do think that there is going to be stability because it does bring that Western flank of the conference, late night TV eyeballs, all of that to the conference, which allows Brett Yormark and the brain trust there at the Big 12 uh, conference offices to go out and pander for more money. And I think that's absolutely 
absolutely a good thing for this conference. The four teams that are coming in have all been Power 5 teams, and that presents a new struggle for four schools that are moving into the Power 5 and could put four teams that had a rough 2023 at an even larger disadvantage. I want to get into that, but first let's tie this one up with a bow on further expansion. At 16, Brett Yormark in the summer said, we're closed, we're good, we're fine. Then last week he says, hey, Charlie Baker, after comments of creating an elite college football mega pack, he said, Charlie's just doing what his job is of being commissioner. He's doing what we've asked him to do. And your mark is pro he's pro consolidation, which is effectively the inverse of expansion, but what expansion brings. Mm-hmm. All of that said, Jake, do you want to see the Big 12 go further? Uh, well, honestly, I, I, I do want to see them go further, but only in certain circumstances. If you can add Gonzaga for basketball only, I'm all on board with that. I watched okay. BYU and Gonzaga play for years. I'm actually okay if Washington State and Oregon State want to come into the conference. Okay, whatever. I, they don't necessarily offer a ton, but they're just, yeah. they add another regional aspect to this. But I think in certain circumstances they would work. But if you were to ask me, I would I wouldn't mind them going out, maybe stealing Gonzaga and stealing UConn, and really making it a conference, a basketball conference Leviathan out there. Now I know the college basketball doesn't necessarily push the meter for a lot of people, but Rhett Yormark believes in it. Uh, if he is to be believed, I think that he's got this thought that the basketball is going to be separated from football in terms of media rights for the Big Twelve down the road. And I think that's what he'll push for. So I do think that the expansion in my mind is still out there. But if it's going to happen, it feels like in the inter- in the short run, I think yeah. it's more basketball focused, if anything. I love it. That's a unique take that I haven't heard recently. The basketball spin to this, especially out west, where your mark has looked with Gonzaga and then the talks of UConn that have died down in the last six months that are, of course, still there. Coming up, let's get more into how these teams struggled this year, what the outlook is next year. But first, we'll hear from our valued sponsor, Prize Picks, right here at Locked On Big 12 and Locked On Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is where I go to make money. I I see I see a parlay in there, and I think, oh man, I could put Travis Kelsey and LeBron James. It's it's receptions and three pointers into a parlay. It's over under 10, 10 and a half. Bam. $10 turns into $250 with the right parlay. You can go into prize picks and it's, it's fun. It's easy. You're on your couch and it's like a second fun little income of, well, you know, 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there. Look, somebody goes to the movies. They spend $25 on a ticket and popcorn and another 10 on a drink. All right, fine. Go spend your 45 bucks. I'll spend 10. I'll make 50. I love it. Prize picks have a reboot policy. Your player gets hurt in the first half. They don't return in the second half. You are rebooted. That player prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Prize picks is the place to go. Prizepicks.com forward slash locked on college to make a little dough. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to a hundred bucks. Prizepicks.com forward slash locked on college. Use code locked on college daily fantasy sports made easy at prize picks. All right, Jake, let's be honest here. BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Houston all struggled. Before I give a leading question, I'm going to keep it simple. Why? Uh, honestly, I think depth, and that's the biggest thing. Is they they all talked about the fact that they needed to find quality depth, and, I, and from the BYU perspective, you saw BYU. Their frontline guys, their their top tier guys, were just as good as anybody in the Big Twelve. The problem was they had some of those guys get injured and miss games. They're talking like the Aiden Robbins, the Ben Bywaters out there, Keaton Slovis, even to a degree after he missed the yes. final four games of the season. BYU did not have the adequate depth that, to step up into those roles and keep BYU rolling. That's a big reason why the Cougars finished with a five game losing streak and a five and seven 
seven record overall. So I think speaking for BYU and the other newcomers, they have got to make a concerted effort on the recruiting front to bring in as much talent as possible, whether that's via the high school ranks, junior college, or the transfer portal. You've got to go about building quality depth. Now, this is not going to be a one-year fix for all these programs. I know that BYU's got a multi-year approach to this, and they hope yeah. that they can kind of, I guess, jumpstart it in a way with the transfer portal and the like, but it is going to take a little bit of time for them to get uh, to full health and having a fully stocked rosters like some of the hateful eight as, as we've talked about. Uh, but the bigger thing, I think, for a BYU's perspective is as they continue to do this, if they can keep their guys healthy, they have proven they can compete on a game in and game out basis. The problem is, once again, if you have a couple of injuries that hit some of these critical positions, that is where things really get exposed. I don't want to poop on that. I, I don't. But at the same time, the pushback would be, hey, you knew coming into this conference, you're going to need more depth as you went to the Power Five. Where was the disconnect in the offseason? And, and does it solely revolve around the transfer portal? Well, I'll, I'll just say this. I, BYU crowed, and I'll, I'll say this. The coaches said that we have more depth at every position, the offense in particular. Aaron Roderick made a similar t- comment to that, saying that we've upgraded all these positions. And I do think that they maybe were a little foolhardy in saying that because the, the proof was in the pudding. The offense was not as good as BYU hoped it could be. Now, it didn't come alive in the final two games against the Oklahoma schools, and maybe they could have picked one of those off, but it necessitated changes. They fired their offensive line and tight end coaches. They look like they're going to hire TJ Woods from Georgia Southern. Uh, to be the offensive line coach and with TBD on the other assistant they're going to hire. But the bigger thing is, yes, the, the, they, they I think they they thought that they had gone out and had a two-year ramp up to try and build some of that depth. There are some positions at BYU, I believe, have depth at those positions. The problem is those are the positions that seem to stay healthy all season long, whereas positions where they didn't have that depth or maybe uh, kind of got caught up thinking that they had it, but they really didn't, those are the positions that really betrayed them. I'm thinking a linebacker. I'm thinking a running back. I'm also even thinking, at some of the wide receiver positions that that they thought I think that they had more depth than they actually had and the problem was they got caught with their pants down is it too harsh to say that these four teams were not ready for power five football in 2023 uh, to a, I would say it's a little harsh because I think all of them uh, were putting the effort out there. I just think the talent level was not necessarily adequate. Now, uh, you could obviously look at the coaching situation. Dana Holgerson ultimately lost his job at Houston. He was yeah. already kind of hanging by a thread before Houston even got in uh, to the Big 12. There were so many rumors about him the last couple of years about how Tillman Fertitta, if he was happy with Dana Holgerson's performance. You know what? If you guys were going to make that move, you should have made it before you jumped into the Big 12. You kind of wasted a year year here uh, for Houston in particular UCF there were a lot of people out there that thought UCF was gonna be the best of the newcomers and ultimately they proved I think to be that with yeah. Gus Malzahn as their coach they had a lot of talent it felt like and speed uh, but then Cincinnati and BYU uh, they did make a coaching change in Cincinnati that was very depleted in terms of the overall roster for Scott Satterfield I'm not sold on Satterfield mm-hmm. as a coach per se but then in the case of BYU you had an established uh, coaching staff that I like I said they, they made comments similar to like we feel like we've got the roster to go out there and compete and they did compete they were but the problem was anybody who watched the West Virginia game the Iowa State game for BYU some of these middle games where they just seemingly didn't show up that's that is an indictment on that coaching staff and the BYU football program because the problem is it felt like there was a little bit of a holdover from their era in the independent era where they'd play a big opponent maybe have a week or two off against a lesser opponent where they could kind of coast and then get geared back up for one of those top level opponents when it came back up in two or three weeks the problem I think that they realized this season is there's no weeks off at this level it is a week by week thing. You got to stay engaged every single week. And if you don't show up, uh, quote unquote, if you don't, if you don't put in that effort, you're going to get 
blown away. And that's what happened against West Virginia. That's what happens against Iowa State, even Texas to a degree for BYU, even though the Cougars, I felt like hung pretty tough in that game. But you, you've got to be able to show up every single week and put the same effort out there. And I think that was a hard lesson the BYU learned. Jake, I know the greatest command is love, but let's put it to the side for a second. I know it's terrible to say, but let's put it to the side for a second. Did you kind of revel in the fact that the other three new teams also struggled? Was that a good thing for BYU fans to see? I think it was because I think they felt like, okay, we're not the exception. Like we're, we're all in this together. Now, uh, obviously BYU fans, they've got a very proud tradition as a football program and they want nothing more than to see their program go out there and compete and be a, a top tier football program. But yes, I do think them looking over at a Houston or looking at a Cincinnati or a UCF and seeing them, Hey, they're not, they're, they're not uh, sailing. Like they're not sailing smoothly along and they're having their issues as well. I think there was a little bit of a commiseration there with BYU fans saying, okay, yeah, they're struggling too. This is not an easy transition. It's going to take some time. The other thing I think BYU fans understand, I know they're as reticent as anybody to give any type of credit to Utah, but they saw Utah make the build. Utah had a crazy first year in the Pac-12, but then backslid hard to two five and seven seasons and then really started to build from there. I think BYU fans watch kind of the slow climb that Utah had to build themselves up in the Pac-12, and I think in some ways they can look at that and say, that may be kind of the, the formula or the template that we have to follow if we really want to get to the top of the heap will it be a slow climb or will it be something that BYU is able to do next year or even the year after that's what we'll hit on next but first let's hear from our valued sponsors over at FanDuel right here on Locked On Big 12 and Locked On Cougars part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day One of my favorite places to spend my time is FanDuel. That's where you can catch me because they have an app that makes it convenient and easy. I sit on my couch and I say BYU's playing basketball. I can put some monies on BYU playing basketball at FanDuel.com forward slash locked on or Baylor, Arizona or Kansas. The Beast 12 parlay where you only pick big 12 teams to win in a single night. Probably going to do pretty well. Probably going to do pretty well for you. And right now you can do that at FanDuel.com. As the weather gets colder, their NFL deals stay hot. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's right, 5 bucks on Baylor or BYU or Texas Tech or even Texas if you want to. That's $150 if your team wins. You've been, looking about, you've been looking at different apps, thinking about joining FanDuel. No better time than right now. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. FanDuel.com slash locked on kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official sports partner of the NFL. Jake, once again, I won't lead you here. Let's go BYU-centric. Is BYU the Big 12's sleeping giant? I think BYU can be. Now, I say that with this caveat, uh, Drake, because... Whoa, biggest- whoa, whoa. Please be humble. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, no, the biggest thing is that I think BYU, they have aspirations of being that sleeping giant. They know that BYU has got a tradition that they want to be at top of the heap. They were uh, among the leaders in the Mountain West. They were among the leaders in the WAC after the Arizona schools departed that conference in the 70s for the Pac-12. They want to get back to doing that. They haven't been in a conference for 12 years until they rejoined the Big 12 this year. Mm-hmm. And they have aspirations of getting to the top of the heap. Now, we all know that there's going to be a power vacuum uh, when Texas and Oklahoma exit this conference and it's going to open a door for all 16 of these teams, including the four newcomers coming in, who have all got to be thinking, okay, if we play our cards right, we can really build ourselves up in short order and become that big dog uh, in the conference. BYU wants to do that. But the caveat I'm going to add here is BYU needs to invest. And what I mean by that is they got to put the money into uh, resources, whether it's NIL, and I'm speaking that comes from the fan base and obviously donors. They also got to invest in the coaching staff. You got to be able to pay these coaches top dollar. You also got to be able to invest in in their staff. 
staff on the back end and speaking of off the field, I don't know how many people have recognized this, Drake. I'm probably revealing some information to your listeners on Locked On Big 12. But BYU right now has three full-time recruiting staffers. They work with a team of three full-time staffers and a bunch of BYU students who work on a part-time basis in their recruiting department. There are multiple G5 programs, including one right up the street here in Utah, so to say, Utah State, who have more than doubled that in full-time recruiting staffers. You've got to invest in that if you're BYU. And I've said this on my podcast time and time again. Anybody who's listened to Locked On Cougars has heard me talk about this. They need to invest. They're having more money come into the program uh, and the overall athletic department they ever have before, Drake. Give it to the football program. Give them the resources that they need to compete. Because if you do, there's a correlation. The more money you invest in football, the better you're going to be on the field. And I know BYU fans, they're just like any other fan base. They want to win and they want to win big. And that's going to give BYU the best chance if they do invest. I'm already confident in BYU's ability to to develop. I've seen the practice facilities from the indoor to the two outdoor fields to the weight room and being on hand on site. It is it is not only power five, but better than over half of the Big 12. I don't think development's the issue. Knowing it's recruiting is a good help to understand the early struggles and where BYU can go from here. Along with that, you start to question coaching. And I know Kalani Sitake is marked safe for now, despite not going to a bowl game this year. He still feels like the right fit. But to me, there should be some pressure on A-Rod where that offense goes. You could argue that injuries put them behind the eight ball, but 12 Big 12 teams this year of 14 had backup quarterbacks play legitimate snaps at some point in time or another. That can't be the excuse. No, it can't be. And you're right. The, the, the biggest thing is BYU needs to pick it up in the, in the recruiting sphere. Now, I will say this. Jay Hill, he's doing a very, very good job on the recruiting front. BYU is kind of going into this early signing window with chances to uh, win multiple recruiting battles for high level three star and four star talents. And that's something that hasn't really been part of the, the conversation. We've talked about early signing days for BYU in the recent past. Now, I'm speaking that's more on the defensive side of the football. The offense. Yes, they have a lot to answer for because they had an offensive line that. I said it on my podcast. I thought they had the talent to be absolutely dominant and they were abysmal. Frankly, they were frankly yep. abysmal this season. And A-Rod's got to answer for that. You're right. The backup quarterback situation, Jake Retzloff did not look the part. A lot of us thought that, okay, let's see what he's got. He went 0-4. I think his completion percentage was just a touch over 50%. That's not going to hack it at, at the Power 5 level. Yep. We'll see uh, what they do in the transfer portal. I know they have kicked the tires on more than a dozen uh, different quarterbacks out there in the portal trying to find the right option. The one thing I can say on the recruiting front is be BYU learned a lot, uh, Drake, in terms of what they're looking for. They tried to fit Keaton Slovis into this offense and realized very quickly they need a true dual threat quarterback. A guy, a pass first guy, a statue in the pocket like Keaton Slovis just won't hack it in the offense that Aaron Roderick wants to run. So they're being a little more judicious in terms of what they're looking at in the transfer portal quarterback wise right now, looking for a guy who can both throw and run because they've seen Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall when they've been their best in terms of their competition, they need a quarterback who can do it all and they're going to be very very uh, careful to find the right guy if at all possible to fill that role now they also have other things to, to address Aiden Robbins declared for the NFL draft that leaves BYU's running back room pretty bare because you have LJ Martin who's a very very promising freshman uh, but then beyond that a lot of guys with injury concerns and that are the, his backups right now the wide receiver position looks pretty stocked if all these guys come back intact from this past season you'll have five or six guys who are proven options tight end you lose an Isaac Rex who else can step up there and 
And the offensive line, you're losing Kingsley Suamata'ia, who announced today that he's headed to the NFL. You're also uh, going to lose uh, Paul Miley, who was a, a multi-game starter for them on that offensive line as well. And then two other guys, Connor Pay, who's been on my podcast all season long, as well yeah. as Brayton Kime, who was a starter. They're both TBD on if they're going to return. So there is a lot of work to be done in the recruiting sphere for BYU, especially on offense. The defense, we all knew what the defense was. That You already were kind of behind the eight ball there. It's going to take some time to build that back up. But this was an offense that was expected to really, really carry BYU this year. And yep. frankly, it failed. Defense was much better than I expected the first six, seven games of the season, but it came a point where, look, you've gotten all the juice out of the defense you can probably get. At some point, the offense has to come to the rescue or at least be on par, and that never happened, putting yeah. BYU behind the punch and ultimately keeping the Cougars out of a bowl. Quickly, before we get you out of here, Jake, Daryl Funk, Steve Clark, it's tough to pinpoint which assistant was at fault for certain shortcomings. Were the right guys pushed out the door here? Uh, I think that Daryl Funk, the writing was on the wall. The offensive line, like I said, it, it, it failed. They, they needed to change things up there, and Daryl Funk uh, paid the price there. The Steve Clark one was a little bit surprising to me because I actually thought with the failure in the run game in particular, I'm talking about the running backs, I thought that Harvey Unga, the running backs coach, would ultimately pay the price there. So it would have been uh, Funk and Unga uh, being uh, on the chopping block there. Yeah. But uh, BYU felt like uh, Steve Clark uh, was the guy that needed to go, and ultimately he pays the price. He's one of the great dudes in terms of just personality that BYU had on staff. He did a very good job in recruiting. But uh, the other thing about it is Isaac Rex was, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaac, Isaac Rex was really the only tight end that produced at a marginal clip. A, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You look at the other tight ends, they didn't do much for BYU. So I think that that may have played into the role of why Steve Clark paid the price. I do think BYU wants to get some more younger dynamic recruiting types maybe into this coaching staff. And that's maybe an opportunity to do that with that tight end position. Jake, for listeners of Locked On Big 12 who are unfamiliar with your work and want to find more of it, where do they go? Uh, you can search out Locked On Cougars wherever you get your podcasts. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're on social media as well. Just search out Locked On Cougars. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see my Twitter handle there, Jacob C. Hatch. I, I work in, in sports radio here in Salt Lake City, so I'm weighing in all things. NBA, NFL, college football. I've got it all. Uh, follow me, Jacob C. Hatch. Love all the interaction. Anybody wants to hit me up, I'd love to talk with you. It's always fun to be on, and thanks for having me, Drake. Absolutely. I can guarantee you, Jake, we'll be talking BYU Cougars tomorrow. I'll be talking Big 12. This has been and always will be. Thanks for making this your first listen every single day. Locked on Cougars and locked on Dose Grande.